0: Hi, I'm Billy Duffy and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast
1: Make me a deal and make it good for me. I won't get full of myself, I can't afford to be here town music, this is big town music. He's a of his time, you know, but he can use it. Fun he can prove it. Well, a away, a
2: away, a hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me in the Zoom room today, he's best known for his work as a songwriter and guitarist for the cult. But today, he's here to talk about the second album by his other band, Color Sound. Please welcome the incredible Billy Duffy. Hello, Billy. How? Howdy. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Good. No complaints. No complaints you, at all. Are you in Los Angeles? Is that where you live right now? Um, I live, well, I'm. yeah,
0: technically I live between los angeles and england yes yeah. i spending actually a little more time in the uk of late mm-hmm. which is germane to talking about color sound and stuff but uh i've yeah i just sort of been drawn back to the uk a bit more the last few years and started in- increasing the amount of time you know as i'm getting older i don't yeah. know well so, so yeah, yeah i'm in la when i'm in, in, in i'm in la at the moment. Yeah.
2: Well, these these last few years, if I could have gone to the UK, I might have done that too.
0: Uh, yeah, sure,
2: sure. Um, oh, Billy, let's talk about this uh, this new album, Color Sound Two. It's, yeah, yeah. It's Going to come out July sixteenth. Yes, yes, yes. And now you did a Color Sound uh, One, but that was twenty two years ago. Why so long between <laughs> albums? Um, well, it was a bit. Um, you know, well,
0: life got in the way, you know, me me and Mike's um, uh, day jobs sort of rekindled very shortly after Colour Sound. We did that thing in the 90s in the UK. And um, we've basically, I've been pretty much been active with with the cult um, in this last 20 years. There was a period when, when I wasn't doing the cult again in the mid 2000s, but I was pretty much... At that point, Esconce living in Los Angeles, and Mike was kind of uh, got very busy redoing the alarm. He sort of reimagined the alarm, right. and also had his solo thing. When I met him, he was more doing um, in the nineties. He when we did Color Sound One, Mike was really more doing a solo thing and establishing himself as a solo artist. But I think doing a band again um with me with color sound even though it was only for a couple of years rekindled that the positive aspects of being in a band with him because obviously you've heard probably from a lot of musicians that it is a challenge over time to keep a band together and sure you know hats off to any musician uh, especially if they achieve any degree of success and financial security um they don't tend to put up with what they might've put up with when they had to, you know, so, you know, my, I think, I think color sound, that original thing uh, rekindled Mike's desire to be, you know, um, part of a band and contribute in that way, as well as having a solo career. And that's kind of what, from his point of view, that's what ended up happening. And for me, you know, the cult just kind of uh, popped back into action so uh it was funny i mean i think probably the music on the first color sound record which um still sounds pretty fresh because it's just basic you know honest rock and roll songwriting yeah. it's not trying to be anything that it's you know it's not um it, it it basically was an album that from my point of view it probably would have been a cult cool album you know my contribution to a cult record obviously yeah. um and that was it. But I was very happy with it. And I was really happy with the, the period hanging out with Mike, um, you know, uh, because of the, the, basically it was a friendship really.
2: Well, Mike, uh, Mike and Jules have both been on the show and there are not two nicer people than Mike and Jules Peters. I mean, just a fantastic guy. I, I would imagine working yeah. with him is just a blast. He, he seems so positive and he's, he's so prolific too. I mean, the guy is always writing and releasing new music.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I usually wind him up about that. I, I coined the phrase, the busiest man in rock. Um, I think with Mike, yeah, the, yeah, I obviously Mike and Jules, anybody that knows them knows how great they are. And I think <clears throat> for me in the nineties, when the cult kind of fizzled out in, in 95, we it just kind of had run out of its steam. We'd had a few, Unfortunate legal things, you know. Even after grunge, and and there was, it just became untenable. Even though I thought we made a really good album in '94, um, the the eponymous cult album, the cult, the fan favorite. I thought that was a very strong record actually but we were sort of reimagining ourselves but i think the strain um of you know 12 13 years of kind of constantly being in a band just wore us out and i think ian was the first one to jump ship you know but we i think i was pretty fatigued too although i then i found myself in england um in the mid 90s well well actually what happened was we were in the middle of a tour and Ian kind of left the band and i wasn't It was a bit traumatic because it's all I'd ever done since 1983. So, you know, it was like a 12 year consistent run of being a a part of this entity. And suddenly this entity no longer existed and I was a bit lost. So I kind of was drawn back to the UK to kind of spend time with family and friends and things that had been somewhat neglected on my part. Right because I've been a touring musician and I'm, I know, you know any musician who's, who's been fortunate enough to have any success, you do have to make some sacrifices and being a homebody is one of them, you know, you can't do that and be successful True. as a touring musician. So that's what happened. And, and in that period, I was back in the, in England trying to just find out like, you know, who Billy Duffy is rather than I'm Billy Duffy of the cult, right. you know, changing my uh, handle. Um, that's when I ran into Mike and just doing stuff in England. It was very low pressure and casual. And I think that's what was uh, um, also was very attractive to me, you know. But Mike and Jules do emanate quite a lot of light and positivity. And sure do. I think most people are aware of their, their own stuff with cancer by now. So, you know, their their um, approach to life, you know, is somewhat, you know, grasping it with both hands and uh, keeping busy, you know.
2: People without cancer should live the yeah. way they're living uh, with cancer. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, it's a it's a very positive thing. And that, you know, it just was the right thing for me at that time. Yeah. You know, um, and 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 it just sort of fell into place. There wasn't any real work involved. It just emanated from a friendship with Mike, and that's what color sound was. And then unfortunately, I had a very, very difficult decision to make when I got a phone call in 1999 about getting the cult back together and um you know um well it it, it was a difficult decision and it wasn't a difficult decision because i don't regret it right you know with the cult, i've had an excellent 20 odd years since that time as well so in a way i'm I'm fortunate to have gotten both
2: yeah i mean there's singers and guitarists that are always uh, thought of together Stephen Tyler Joe Perry, Steve right, Stevens, right. Billy Idol and uh you know Billy Duffy and Ian Asbury, we just we just think of you guys together so for you or even yeah. Ian to break out and do something different it's um you know it's refreshing for the fans and it's probably yeah. refreshing for you as well when you sit down to write songs with someone new because you've you wrote with Ian, you know, most of your recorded life. Yeah. 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 In, uh, in 98, you sit down to write with Mike Peters. Do you have to get along socially and politically? And does all that stuff have to gel before you can sit down and pick up the guitars together or is music can music be the bond?
0: Um, I think, I think, I think that's a very good question. And I think the answer to it, unfortunately is both of the things you can operate on different levels. I know, many successful bands where the primary writers have what i would call a very good working business relationship and i would also say that there are a lot of bands who whose, you know the creative center of it are, are truly close friends i think the the former is is more real than the latter i think that when you're all in the back of the van together you know sharing hotel rooms and those experiences when you're young men um, I think things change as you become an adult. Hopefully, they do. Yeah. It would be pretty sad to behave like a 23-year-old when you're in your 60s. I don't know, or fun, or both. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I think you know, growing old with a degree of um, you know dignity is good. But yeah. but you know, sure. but doing it there's a great way. You know, if you look at this, many artists who've shown us recently that you can still maintain a great career. Um, you know, when you get quote unquote older, it's, it's not what it was, you know, we're, we're kind of, uh, the, the lines have gotten a little blurred. So, but it's a lot of fun. And that, by the way, that's not to say, you know, when bands do that, you know, Mike left the alarm sure. because he couldn't get along with the guys or certain elements or the thing of the alarm. It's not like I, you know, me and Ian have a really good relationship um, and it's endured, you know, almost 40 years. And, and, and in the essence at the beginning of the cult, you know ian and i were just two guys who had a, a vision and a kind of a dream to do a band and we were both fortunate that we ended up realizing that dream to a lesser or greater extent you know yeah um and and so and then you know then you have to roll your sleeves up and do the work And that's that's, you know, on many levels of of, and and that's where my hats are off to bands who still continue. You know, uh, my peer group, you know, if they can continue to still do it, you know, hats off to them because you've got to kind of live it. And um, there's no explaining. You just got to do it or not do it.
2: Let's talk about uh, the first color sound album. I have to be honest with you. I didn't know of this color sound album a fan of the cult, a fan of the alarm. And for some reason, this eluded me until April 30th when I downloaded it, because it's available now. Everyone can go out there and find it on all the digital platforms. And, you know, I dropped the digital needle on track Mm -hmm. one, Under the Sun. We immediately get a signature Billy Duffy guitar intro. is fantastic I mean well thank you yeah
0: yeah I I, I mean thank you um it was done you know it was done out of a spirit of friendship and very for for Mike and I it was in in a spirit of kind of um hands-on do a DIY kind of thing which was refreshing after being you know involved in the 80s in a kind of a Uh, both of us were in somewhat of a corporate situation. I mean, the the cult's always been on beggars banquets. So when I say corporate, we've, the cult had to, you know, work with corporate partners, but really in essence, we were always with beggars. So we've had a great deal of control over our musical output, but, but with me and Mikey, it was very much a DIY project. It was kind of funny. I mean, we literally were recording some stuff. I'm not, Mike has a slight better memory than me about what actually happened, but I do remember recording up in a guy's like barn up on the side of a mountain in Wales for real. And, you know, he was, the owner was always out cutting up trees to put on his stove to keep the place heated because the heating was like windfall logs from trees. And, and, and it was just a good vibe and very refreshing and different for me that, and, and what I needed at the time. And the, so- the songs were, were really good, you know. We, 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 the, the chemistry was there. There was excitement from my, to work with somebody, you know, uh, different, and, uh, and vice versa. You know, it was just a refreshing change, you know, for both of us at, at that time.
1: Across America, BP supports more than two hundred and seventy-five thousand jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas it's and not or see what doing both
2: means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America well and I've seen interviews where Mike talks about how color sound is a is a guitar driven rock band and he uh he compares you to Tony Iommi and Steve Jones in some of these interviews. And uh, and I, he's not wrong. Uh, Billy, you have a guitar tone that's all your own. And you're just well, realized, you. like, if I hear a song mm-hmm. and it sounds like Billy Duffy, when I check the credits, it's Billy Duffy. <laughs> so, well, uh, thanks. How do you come up with it? How does that happen? How do... Because, I mean, all guitars don't have it, but there are guitars that do. The Edge and Brian May from Queen and, and, and Billy Duffy. I mean, you guys have your own thing.
0: I, I'm, 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 I'm in very heady company there with all those names <laughs> you've mentioned. Uh, thank you. I do understand what you mean. Yeah. And obviously, at a phase of my life, I've been kicking around a while now. And I've probably spent a little more time reflecting. And I just think with all of those guitar players that you mentioned, Possibly with the exception of Brian May, who I only found out recently his dad was a ukulele player. I used to just know that Brian May was got the most phenomenal guitar sound I've ever seen. Right. Uh, next to Steve Jones. Sure. Those are the two. And, and I saw them within a year of each other in the 70s play live. And um, But I, I think that that's one of the things that's most important for young guitar players is to to create your own sound and, 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 you know, you best kind of in, in some ways it's luck and happenstance and circumstances with what guys you play with and that stuff. Um, but, but one of the things that occurred to, in England when I was growing up, because of punk rock, um, I left high school when punk pretty much blew up in England in 77. Uh, and, and, and so did Mike, right? So Mike's a little bit older than me, but in essence, we were both fans of punk rock that learned to play. And I think that the punk thing was that you don't need to be able to play every single Black Sabbath riff or every single song to be in a cover band. You kind of did that for fun if you wanted to learn them, but there wasn't that culture of I'm in a covers band and I'm playing tunes and learning my craft by copying the work of other people. It was kind of the rule book got thrown away for a few years and it was just like Three chords, a haircut, and some tight pants, and and get on with it. Yeah. And I believe that that foundation was different. So for the edge, you know, I mean, clearly, if you look at all the, you know, what I consider to be a lot of the great guitar players, you know, the, you know, Charlie from the Simple Minds, um, Will from Echo and the Bonnie Men, the guys in the Psychedelic Furs, anybody was being progressive. I mean, there's many. Jordy from Killing Joke, um, all of the guys were. I lumped us into this thing of we were the fans of punk, but we wanted to do something different. And we went on a, each guitar player was like, well, I'm not going to just do what Steve Jones did or Mick from the clash or Brian James from the damned. So we all started looking for different things. I happened upon a Gretsch because I was kind of into rockabilly a little bit. as more of like a fashion thing when the stray cats came to town I was in London, I met Slim Jim, I, I always used to like rock and roll. Um, when I was a little kid, my bro- older brother had kind of rock and roll records. And so it's happenstance and that foundational stuff was is different. So to answer your question, I think that with, with that in mind, the game was always to come up with your own stuff and your own style and be experimental and fearless. And don't worry that I can't play Black Dog by Led Zeppelin, right. which I used to worry greatly that I couldn't play Black Dog by Led Zeppelin. And now I'm here by Queen. And I subsequently learned how to play both. And I feel much better about it self-esteem wise. However, as a 15 year old and a 16 year old, the rule book got torn up and, you know, I don't want to over, but I, I sound like one of the guys that was around when the Grateful Dead came up and like, I'm an old hippie and peace. It's just what happened. You know, right. that was, that was my story and a lot of the guitar players of you, you referred to, I think we had that background. And, and then again, you know, but but there are guys like you know, in later in life, I've really become to appreciate Tony Iommi and Richie Blackmore, funnily enough. It's as I've gotten older, I've kind of gone backwards and started really delving into the, you know, the craft of what they did, because I kind of missed them when I was a kid because of punk rock. And I went down, a different avenue. My attention was drawn elsewhere. So I, I was aware of these bands and I was aware of it all, but I didn't get deeply into it.
2: Well, music never goes away, so you can always rediscover it, and that's yeah. just like me in this first Color Sound album. Um, yeah. I've been telling everyone I know about about, and and I've heard the new album too, and um, it's it's just so refreshing because this is exactly the kind of music I like. I just love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Mike's lyrics are great and your guitar is always great. Um, when you're a teenager and you go and you're seeing shows and your dream is to be up on the stage, you know, where the pistols yeah. are, when that finally happens, what's the feeling like? I mean, it must be <laughs> unbelievable.
0: It's um yeah, it was, it was quite an eye-opener. You know, I mean, my ambitions prior to, to the punk thing happening in the UK was like if I, was, I was trying to be a, a roadie for a local band in South Manchester who quickly changed their name and became a punk band, and, uh, as, as a lot of people did. And, um, you know, very a, a happenstance ended up that their guitar player left And they said to me, You look pretty cool. You can play a bit. You know, I was like 15. They said, Do you want to join? And I auditioned and I got in the band. And um, that's how it happened for me. Prior to that, my only experience had literally been playing an old folks' home, seriously. And um, to a bunch of, because a bunch of old people and a school dance, you know, that was, and we were doing anything from, you know an eclectic set list that would be born to be wild woodstock some i think something by fleetwood mac because somebody was into it a neil young song ted nugent wow. first album powerful stuff
2: yeah Can't, sure. not the
0: early nuge i will never hear a bad word said about ted nugent early nuge
2: i mean yeah with derek st holmes on vocals all but- that Those albums are fantastic.
0: Yeah, it, the early stuff, peerless, sonically, simple, direct, great, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and that was all the stuff. I mean, I, I, you know, it's been well documented that I was a bit of a fanboy. So I would go to lots of gigs in Manchester and I saw Nugent on his first British tour, um, Queen, lots of bands like that. Rush, Skinner, Blue Oyster Cult. I saw them all play a place called the Manchester Free Trade Hall or there was another venue called the Apollo. In Manchester, and uh, I would go and watch all these bands, and then so I had that kind of fanboy thing, and um, then then punk happened, and that 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 was the stepping stone to make that some sort of reality for a lot of guys. You know, for me, Johnny Marr, obviously who, who from the Smiths, is, uh, and many other bands has been um, you know a close friend of mine since we were at you know different schools together.
2: When you you say uh, uh, when you use the word fanboy. Would yeah. you, would you try to meet the artist after the show too? Did it go that far or you were just a fan of the music?
0: No, 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 I wasn't like, no, I wasn't into being a stalker or, a. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to meet them or, you know, get wrapped my arm around them. And, you know, even if there had been a camera in those days, which there might've been Polaroids right? and I might've been able to steal one. No, it was never my thing. I like to look at them. Mm-hmm. I remember I used to go, we'd get off school and we would go into the center of Manchester and we'd hang around backstage. At the Manchester Free Trade Hall, and you would the car would pull up with the rock star, and they would they they'd take four paces from the car door to the stage door, and we would just stand there. I remember seeing Willie DeVille from Mink DeVille. Oh, nice. Now remember, I'm from a working class South Manchester estate. Whatever the hell I looked like in those days, and out walks Willie DeVille with his, his whole New York. And I, by the way, didn't even like DeVille. They were supporting a band I like called Bebop Deluxe that were fantastic. Yeah. I didn't like DeVille one iota, and I still really don't. But seeing him, I w- he looked like an alien to yeah, me. I was like, who head. is this being?
2: He's got that swagger and that look. Like, a, when you, you know, him, he's, he's, a, you know so he's a rock star.
0: Yeah, he's a, that's what I mean. He looks like a rock star. Right. I mean, he just exuded... And I used to kind of get off on that kind of stuff. And, you know, there was lots of stories. And then with the punk thing, I ended up meeting a bunch of musicians who were really cool. Um, there was a fantastic New York guitar player. And I just heard this on a podcast that I listened to a lot. Um, there that, that a couple of guys I know uh, do. Um, Gary Kemp and, and uh, Guy Pratt, the bass player who's played on everybody's record apart from a cult record. Um but he uh, they do a great podcast. Anyway, they were referring to this guitar player called Greg Van Cook out of New York who nobody's ever heard of. Okay, And he played on a Wayne County single. And the reason why I bring it up is I played this at my sixth form. Everybody got to play one song and I can't really say the title because I don't know how PC this show is. Oh, you,
2: you can say it.
0: Okay so the so everybody's playing like stairway to heaven and playing like you know whatever Fleetwood Max, the chain or and then I walk in and I play if you don't want to fuck me baby fuck off by Wayne County the Electric Chairs If you don't want to fuck me
1: baby baby fuck off If you don't want to fuck me baby baby fuck off ain't got time for yesterday's news don't shoot me up with your bullshit move if you don't wanna fuck me baby baby fuck off if you don't want a piece of the action baby take a walk if you don't want a piece of the action
0: Jules Holland played piano on it, which I just found out. I had no idea. The guy from Squeeze who's gone on to be, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Somewhat of a TV celebrity. And, um, and this guitar solo still to this day was the most ripping. And I met the guy anyway, I met him when I was a kid and they played in Manchester at a club called Rafters. And I met this guy, Greg Van Cook, and he had a black Les Paul custom. And um, I just was like blown away. And, and I, so, so, in a way, I began to meet when the punk thing happened. The punk musicians were more approachable because they were playing clubs to, 300 people, yeah. to two, three hundred people, not theatres to twenty five hundred. With you know, it's a different level, and they're much more accessible. They're just there; you can kind of walk in, and I met bunches of them. Um, uh, I met I met Jerry Harrington, Harrington from the Talking Heads outside a gig. Um, they were playing at the Manchester University Students' Union and the rule in those days was that an actual student had to sign you in <laughs> to attend the venue because it's entertainment for the students. Right. And me and a guy called Stephen Morrissey, who went off to have quite a good career as a singer, um, were, were attending the show. We were stood outside on the steps and nobody would sign us in. Because, and
2: um, and why, why did you guys look rough is that well, why we
0: just i don't know what we look like we were a bunch of you know 15 16 17 year olds trying to combine thrift store chic to look like somebody from new york or london and we were like wearing our granny's cardigans and stuff <laughs> we could find in bizarre anyway so jerry harrington walked us in they were like what do you mean you can't get into our gig you want to come and see the talking heads and, uh, and later in life you know I ended up getting to know Jerry really well, yeah. and I actually sold him a mountain bike <laughs> so uh but it's a funny little thing, so that was very much my my background as a kid and 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 to get it quick it back to color sound, I know Mike had a very similar experience as as a young guy, and he had like a punk band, and they kind of faked their way onto a stray cats tour by telling the stray cats they were the support band. <laughs> um, and the Stray Cats didn't really know. So, uh, you know, they, they, we, there's all that commonality um, of experience with me and Mike, you know. So that's kind of my side of the story and what it was like growing up for me, and you know, prior to getting in a band.
2: So the songs on Color Sound 2 are yeah, yeah. All, all written by you and Mike. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, when you guys write songs together, uh, is Mike all lyrics and you're all music? Or is it a combo where you contribute lyrically
0: it's it, i don't write lyrics i'm i'm the world's worst that's that's my big disclaimer i stay away from the written word. Uh-huh. um i can talk for days and i you have been known to write a riff or two but i don't do the words part so, so with Color Sound, Mike Mike contributes. He has a couple of musical things that he thinks that might not suit the alarm or him. So, if when he knew that there was a Color Sound thing in the offing, he just kind of said, "What do you think of this one?" and and that's how it worked. But it, it's mostly my music and and all his singing and lyrics, and and that's how we kind of I think Mike more than me mentally, you know, he separates Color Sound off by with this band. I'm the singer. Okay. You know, he gets to just be a rock singer, not the leader or the, you know, head chef and bottle washer and all that. He just, I sing in a band. This guy writes riffs. They inspire me. I write music. I mean, I write lyrics and melodies and that's how we do it. Very simple. And and it's funny. Sorry to ramble on a little bit, but no, it's fine. It, it's funny what you said. Uh, pardon the pun. No pun intended there. They, um... You mentioned about uh, the kind of music that you like. And I think one of the things about Colour Sound too was when me and Mike started, I sent Mike a riff that, that, you know, wasn't deemed suitable for an upcoming cult record, put it that way. It was possibly a bit too cult-like, which sounds like the most ridiculous thing to say in the world. But if you actually think it through... The last thing you want to do is parody yourself. Right. So, 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 you know, I'll leave it at that. But it, there was some stuff that wasn't really kind of in the right mood for what is going to be an upcoming cult album whenever it gets finished, but it's it's in the works. And Mike was just vibed and literally sent me back. I had like a bit, and he he immediately wrote a verse, sent it back to me, and we were off and running. And that was paradise.
1: Something beautiful, crashing through the noise and the sound of wonderful. Check it out. I can see paradise to the left of us.
0: that was the thing we thought oh well 22 years we've still got it and we just wanted to make a very simple straight ahead rock record for people who like simple straight ahead rock records in very complicated times yeah me and mike just said we want to make it sound you know as organic as possible um which doesn't mean to say that we're you know technophobes or anything but the intention of the album like the first color sound album was just to be an honest fairly straight ahead rock and roll record. Um, but obviously the songs shape it. You can't, you can have that as an intention. And if you write a load of folk ballads, you're not going to really carry out your intention. But that's where we were at. That was where my mind space was at. And it was for guys like you and me. I mean, I don't hear enough straight ahead good rock albums.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: I really don't. There's just not, it's just a, it's a it's not something that's around. So I thought, well, I can still feel that I can contribute. Um, something that is 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 good enough to put out there to the public, then you know um I'm happy to do it. And you know, in these circumstances, it was great.
2: Yeah, um, is uh, one of my favorite straight-ahead rock albums from this past year was <laughs> released by Ricky Warwick of Black. Oh Style right, <laughs> yeah. And Ricky's just fantastic. I love his music. Yeah, You yeah, brought yeah. up, uh, you brought up Paradise. That's the first song. Yeah, yeah, color yeah. Sound too. I made some notes. I put, uh, I put this track as the perfect blend of what you do with the cult and what Mike does with the alarm. For me, that's just how this I mean, sounds. And I mean- It's kind of like
0: a calling card. I mean, I think once you've heard the whole album, it's probably the most
2: like that of right, all the songs. It, it kicks it off so that um, people that are new to color sound- Know who you're dealing with. Yes, and it kicks <laughs> the door open and you're like, <laughs> oh, okay, here we go.
0: Right, and, um, then
2: set, and then it sets
0: the mood, you know. It sets for- the mood. They, they, it's, it's like a contextual statement really plus it was the first one we wrote together in this era so we felt we should lead off with that
2: yeah and but but the next 10 tracks are not carbon copies no of paradise there's, there's no not at all tons of stuff tons of textures throughout the album yeah. so who else is on the album because it's you and it's you and mike but then we have a, a drummer and a bass player and yeah, yeah.
0: well, we did it we, um, uh Smiley's on drums who plays with Mike and he was in, he's played with, he, years ago he played with Joe Strummer and um, he's quite, one of the important things we found was that we wanted to do this quickly and we needed, I didn't want to start trying to, I wanted the, the chemistry to be good. I didn't want it to be kind of lazy and just be like, basically a Mike Peters thing with me on guitar. Right. You know, I was very mindful that, but Smiley really approached it from the right way. And, and every song was done in a fairly spontaneous way that we'd literally have the rough ideas, me and Mike would have, a, and then we'd sit together as a team. And the, 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 the fourth member of the band was basically George, who is the engineer slash producer slash piano player slash bass player on the So George George did all of that. And um, it just seemed to be a, a balance that worked, and we'd just sit around and discuss how we were going to interpret the track, um, and then go in and record it. Just kind of old-fashioned, you know. It was, it was just we sat around in the control room with acoustic guitars. We'd heard everybody had heard the demo of the song, and then Smiley, and, and it just seemed to work, you know. And 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 I was happy that it, it felt spontaneous and rock and roll. And 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 to me, it was also important. I think um, to have a certain Britishness to it, which I don't know whether that comes across. I'm I'm not the best judge. Uh, no, I I think a, it.
2: Do, I I definitely think it does. Yeah. It's. Um, do you understand what I mean by I that? Do, that? I do. I do know what you mean. And and I love I love British rock and roll. So uh, no, there's definitely a difference between between this and I. I can't think of someone to compare it to. But yes, it definitely yeah. does. yeah
0: yeah that that was our intention was was to try and you know and it it wasn't like it just was like well this seems to work and you know my i just always go with my gut you know Mm -hmm. i was having a really good time you know smiley's contribution felt right george's contribution and george's role being the producer and bass player um and he's not really a bass player by trade which I kind of like. I, I like base players who are not really base players by trade, okay. um which the base players fraternity will hate me for, but I kind of like amateur base players um on my stuff. Um because I don't know why, I just seem it seems to fit better. Um but but jo- George's role, he kind of disrupts it a little bit. He didn't he didn't want it all to just be he was the disruptor in the team. Okay. And he was kind of challenging me and Mike and saying, "Well, that bit's a bit, you know, ordinary. Have you thought about trying this? And, and, and he, he was a vital cog, you know, in the, in the, the process. And, and any, any band, when, when, the, when the functionality between the members is there, would have that organically. So we were fortunate, you know, um, to have that.
2: I, uh, I know what you're talking about. There's a Sammy Hagar album from 1987, and Eddie Van Halen plays bass on it. And yeah yeah so i guess he's an amateur bass player on that album uh, yeah and it yeah. is it's fantastic because it's it just doesn't sound like the regular bass player it's uh i
0: i, I yeah I, I i i you know I want to disparage bass players or bass playing and i'm not right but I mean, it, they, yeah, there's a mental we're doing no but i mean jamie stewart when he you know when he joined the cult he was a guitar player before he joined the cult you know he literally handed over his guitar pedals to me said i guess i won't be needing these anymore (laughs) and off he jogged and bought himself a bass And, you know, that was fundamental to the sound of the Death Cult and the Cult. So, you know, it's not that I I have had quite a lot of experience about because like guitar players and we we think that bass is probably a little different than it really is when you're like a proper deep, you know, high end learned Mm. bass player um, of which I've had the the good fortune to play with also. They do bring something on another level, but, but for something spontaneous and fun, like, like color sound, uh, I was happy with the way it
2: worked. Now, are you guys going to do, is color sound going to be more of an entity this time out? Would there be, are you guys going to tour behind this? If, if it's possible oh, well. to do shows?
0: Um, I mean, we'd like to, we'd like to play. We did play. In the 90s, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, 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 everything's so up in the air at the moment that, that all I could answer to that is, given the set of circumstances, um, not just in the world, but, you know, me with the call, Mike with his ongoing stuff, with the alarm, and, the, I mean, he's the bus- literally is the busiest man in rock. Um, I, you know, we'd like to. We've talked about it. Yeah. We, we'd like to do some shows. So if something pops up that's a good opportunity that doesn't, that works, you know, in the same way, doesn't interfere or tread on the call or tread on the alarm, then we'd like to, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Mike does a thing every year called The Gathering. Um, yes. that, that's sometimes a good, fun way to play, you know, a little mini set you know, I'd be open to doing some dates, you know, I'm, I, am I, you know, I want to play, I haven't played a gig since 2019, you know, so I'm frightened that I'm getting yeah. too comfortable to my pipe and slippers, <laughs> you know, I'm beginning to be like, Oh, I quite like this. Yeah. Not being in the back of a tour bus with a bunch of sweaty blokes.
2: Well, the thing about both of these albums, they just feel like they're meant to be played in front of an audience. Like these songs yeah, yeah, yeah. Just need yeah. and deserve to be played. It's like they were written to be played live. Yeah, yeah, they they're
0: very, yeah, they're very live-ish and spontaneous for the most part. That's yeah. that's so so I'd like to uh, I'd like to be able to do that. Um but you you know, so so the answer is yes we'd like to no firm plans at this point. Yeah. Hopefully hopefully we can pull it together, you know.
2: And yeah, and we everyone understands that because of the circumstances with COVID and everything. That's that's what's yeah. re- stopping everyone from touring and doing well yeah
0: and and there's going to be a massive log jam and traffic jam of people playing and there's going to be certain bands who are uncomfortable playing because of many different reasons i mean to me you know i've always been like to fancy myself as a bit of a businessman Mm -hmm. so i love to play a gig i'll do the gig for free i just want to get paid for the other 22 and a half hours of the day right that puts me in that The travel and all that crap. So, um, you know. Now, back in the day when I was a young man and we didn't really think about making money from touring, our Four Seasons were very nice. (laughs) I had a lovely old time. Um, The problem was uh, the cult used to end up finishing a tour in debt. (laughs) So it's kind of a bit like reverse work. It's like going to work for a week, enjoying your job, and then having money deducted from your bank account. Awful. It, it, there were compensations. I'm not going to deny it. But there was a point in my life where I thought, right, now, this is a thing that we do as a living. And yeah. I would like to I would like to come home and get a paycheck just like any other mug. You know, I've got the greatest job in the world, but it is a job. And so, you know, that, that's a factor to all this stuff. But, you know, I mean, and hey, listen, the main thing is that I'm fortunate and I, I've been very fortunate to be able to write music and write music that's endured and still sells and gets played and used in commercials and movies and stuff. I am one of the fortunate ones. There are many, many dudes out there who, who are more like what I would call, not junior men, working musicians. They yeah. need to play pay for their kids stuff they need to you know that these are guys who have played music all their lives and gone on tours and worked in studios and stuff and they're basically done
2: yeah for a couple
0: of years you know
2: i think uh the general public feels that if you've recorded an album or you've ever played on stage that you're automatically a multi-millionaire uh, and and that's not that's not the case (laughs) we know that (laughs) <laughs> um, it's not the case so yeah these people like you said they do rely on touring to make to make money like anyone else yeah yeah
0: yeah i yeah i know it's funny i i don't want to disabuse people of the fantasy i've been accused of being too too telling it too much like it is so in i think the past, people
2: need to know that way that way they'll more likely go and buy your music than uh try to get it for free you know I, what i mean yeah
0: yeah there is that i mean hey you know i um I, I think I think people will, will find out, but but it's hard. It, 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 it's it. I feel I feel for those guys, and I feel for the people who have worked in the industry. And you know, we the cult did what we could do financially for the people who were around around the band when yeah. when we could, um, and we've done our, our as best we could. And it seemingly everybody's okay. So,
2: and you're referring to the people that keep the show going—the roadies, the lighting people, all people—all that. that, You mean, you know, like the Rolling Stones? It's a corporation. They have hundreds and hundreds of people that would work for them. So, yeah, yeah, they would hopefully be taking care of those people during the off time. I mean, or or, yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's an interesting thing because there's not you know, if you think about being in a band, I mean, there were, you know, there, there isn't really an official manual. There right. isn't, a, there isn't a, a, a book like, you know, if you were to join the corporate world and have a usual trajectory through your career from being an 18-year-old person to retiring at 65, let's say, just hypothetically, yeah. you know, if you were to work in the corporate world and you do certain things and work hard and do all this stuff, there's a, there's a through line that you should end up at 65 with you know well that doesn't exist in a row yeah well well yeah if you know what i mean like that's the normal lifestyle so if you don't choose that option and you go for rolling the dice on rock and roll or whatever that creative arts with no guarantees no pension no none of that right you know it it, it is a bit of a weep from the chaff sink or swim survival of the fittest kind of world um and that's what you engage in and choose to engage in and so you have to understand that those those the rules are there are no rules
2: yeah it's almost easier for a kid in high school to become a doctor because he knows if he does this this and this at the end he'll be a doctor but absolutely if you want want to be in a band and play rock and roll like you said no guarantees
0: no no, and that's the difference you know and uh yeah, so that's kind of the point of it all. But, but you know, and, and, and in the end of the day, you know, luck and talent, and talent. And circumstance and all of the above play a role in, in the outcome.
2: All right, let me uh, because I told you I'd only keep you for forty-five minutes. Okay,
0: what do you need to know? Yeah, I, I'm chatting. On the coffee was good this morning, so I'm on a
2: I, caffeine I, high. I love it. I I barely, <laughs> I barely got to any of my questions, so hopefully, but, when there's but, a cult album out, you'll be back.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll be yeah, absolutely. Hit me with a couple of questions if there's a couple you really want to know, because I will just blither on.
2: <laughs> I did, I wanted to know. I just wanted. I wanted to ask this about um, okay. the album Sonic Temple. But, okay. it's, but it's not about the music it's about the okay. album cover okay because you are on the album cover it's an iconic cover yeah how does the guitar player convince the singer that you should be on the cover or how does that work okay okay well
0: um i have a, ian aspie's a very generous man and mm-hmm. a very kind man um I, I, get, I i'm more than happy to go on record and say that um He's actually, he is the front cover. The entire background is Ian's head and hair oh, and a microphone. I got to look closer. Ah, you see, the three of us are on there and Jamie's on the back cover. So that was the three members of the band at that time are on the sleeve. However, we did choose as a, as a group to to go for an iconic guitar image. Once we realized the album was going to be what it was. Yeah. We, we were like, we were looking at key images that we, we always referred to Pete Townsend with some of the images of him with the guitar on, and you the, know, and I was fortunate to see, yeah, all that. And there was a picture of me on stage that resembled that, um, image roughly. Okay. And, and, and it wasn't the same, but it was similar enough. We went maybe, and we did, and to, it, it was funny. And I, I don't feel too bad saying out, talking out of school, We were all ready to go ahead. The the sleeve designer was an English guy called Nick Egan, who who worked with a few different bands and uh, Depeche Mode and stuff. And everything was great. And then we were all set to go. And then he was going, are are there any photos of me and you together? Like at the the 11th hour, (laughs) he he literally had a little lead singer wobble for about two minutes. And there were some photos taken where me and him were together. And it didn't look anywhere near as good. It just wasn't, you know. It, 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 we wanted a stamp that said, "Enter here, all those who want to rock." Yeah, and that's what that image, you know. If it, 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 it's like the Clash album where Paul Simonon is smashing up the bass, yeah, London it's Col- kind of like a pink and yellow, you know. That all it was was we were looking for an image that sort of said. You know this, and Pete Townsend was one with the guitar there was a there was a free album that had free live and it was just a no it was the free story and it had like a um a, it was Paul Rogers, his mic and the drum kit and it, it was symbolic. I knew what I was going to get when I turned it on, and that's all we were looking for.
2: Well, you it's know, perfect. I, I, that yeah. album cover is perfect. And again, you, as a kid, when you f- saw that on the uh in the record store, you just I, had to pick it up. You had to buy that album.
0: It, it's oh. been a very successful image that that one of me. I will tell one because because I'm at that age where I don't mind little secrets. I will point out that we did move my arm a few degrees on the clock because to fit between Vert and the call. Gotcha. It, it didn't. It wasn't actually where it was because it's actually. It, anyway we moved it a little bit these <laughs> days you could do it on your iphone but but back in the day there was uh, cutting and pasting oh, involved yeah but back- that's the only little sh- um, shenanigans that went on
2: all right let me tell everyone mm. where we can find uh all things about color sound and billy duffy on twitter oh. we are at oh. color sound underscore uk and color is spelled C O l-o-u-r i think that's the, yeah the, that's the british spelling that's the british spelling so the don't, colonial spelling yes yeah. so yeah. remember it folks also on twitter at the billy duffy uh yeah. with instagram colorsound.uk and billy duffy official and go to the website colorsound.uk and that's where you'll find everything yeah. about the band some video there's videos on youtube of you guys yeah. and yeah. uh
0: again, yeah it's just Color sound, I think it's dot co.uk. Okay. That's yeah, the yeah, that's okay. the cla- that's the classic British, like you've got com in America. Right in the UK, it's dot co.uk for some reason. That seems to be the British go-to. Okay.
2: Cool. The first album is out right now on all digital platforms. So download it, go get it right now. If you're listening, go get it. And this episode's gonna drop July 15th. So yeah. if you're listening right now. Tomorrow is when you can purchase Color Sound 2. It's on CD. It's on vinyl. It's on digital download. And hopefully, you know, the guys, you guys, maybe you'll do a streaming concert or something. Who knows? Well, yeah, we're, we're, we're open to
0: it. Um, we're, we, you know, we're definitely open to the idea of it. The only thing about, the only thing, and I, I've, I've often said this to people, it's one of those other little things. It's as much work to rehearse to do one gig as it is to do,
2: a tour. To rehearse,
0: to do a whole year's with the touring. I'm a real musician. I ain't great until I've had a few gigs under my belt. And now there's any real musician. And if you tell me they are, they're lying. You know, you need to get warmed up. You need to get into it again. So I'm always a little scared of doing those events. That makes sense. Uh, and- because I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So I want to feel that I'm as good as I can be. You know, but but that's just my own personal stuff. But I, I'm into doing something we might can call a sound. Absolutely. It, it, it needs to be played live. So we'll figure it out at some point.
2: And with those streaming shows, you don't get the feedback you get from a live audience. So.
0: Well, it's like playing. Yeah, it's like playing a sound check, I suppose. Right. It's not it's not something that, that we haven't been too enthusiastic about. Um, per, I personally, you know, I, I'm not terribly enthusiastic about it, but I don't mind doing I wouldn't like to do a whole gig because yeah. that has an art to it. It's a shared experience. I mean, a one-off thing, a couple of tunes—that's a different thing. Gotcha. But a whole trying to present a whole concert through a—yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not so sure that that's the greatest. Unless you're going to do it like Kiss did it in New Year's Eve in Dubai. Go
2: to Dubai then, and, do it, and that's, do it right.
0: That's doing it properly.
2: Yes. You know. Um, <laughs> all right. We've already mentioned Paradise. So here's yeah. what I need from you, Billy. Yeah. I need a playout song from the new album but not Paradise since we've already talked about it and I will drop that in okay right in the middle of the show. So what song from Color Sound 2 would you like me to use as the playout song?
0: Um I think do um Revelation. Oh no, actually do do Lightning Strike. That's Lightning. the second track. That's good. We just keep right. it rocking.
2: All right, cool. So thank you Billy for your time. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah, it was uh, a pleasure. And hopefully when a called album comes out, we'll chat again. Yeah. And and I hope to see, I hope to see you out on the road as soon as that can happen. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. With that, good. Thank you so much. And everyone please enjoy lightning strike.
1: There's a lightning strike coming over me. There's a heavy sky underneath my feet. I said, hey now, hey now, this city's gonna burn tonight from a lightning strike. Stand aside, this is not genocide. This is not rock and roll, it takes a heavy toll. I said,